Why don't you grab a seat this morning? We're going to open up the Word of God, even at home. I am going to really, I'm going to say to you right now, even if you're watching a screen, this is the time of the week where we unpack God's Word. I want to encourage you to lean in. I want to encourage you to be engaged this morning as we open up the Word of God and hear what He has to say to us at the moment. And I want to welcome anyone who is watching maybe for the first time, checking out church online. Your church might not be able to meet. You're checking one out that's online. Thanks for doing that. When churches are back together, get back to your local church. If you have never seen church before, this is the way we do church. We love it, and we would love to have you in the building when we're allowed. With that being said, uh, for all of our regulars, thank you for gathering together. Whether you're here this morning or you're gathering online, I count it as together. Love it. And uh, I'm encouraging you to be expectant this morning. As Pastor Beck said, which was hosting, embrace the awkward, be expectant. Okay, we can make those decisions in our mind. You just switch it on. You just go, actually, you know what? I'm, I'm going to get something from this morning. And um, remember that we don't spectate church. We participate. All right? And uh, that can mean taking notes. That can mean following along in the Bible. That can mean uh, verbally agreeing with, with the Word of God as it's preached. Whatever it looks like to you, do something that engages you in the participation of unpacking God's Word this morning. All right. That's all I'm going to say. We are going to start a new series this morning, which is very exciting. Who's excited about that? Come on. And uh, we are going to spend the next few weeks walking our way step by step through the book of Colossians. Yeah, Pastor Simo is excited and uh, Tim's excited. We were talking earlier about uh, people's favorite books. And uh, you can always tell a, uh, a Bible college student when you talk about someone's favorite verse, right? Because most people, it's, it's a classic, like it's something out of Romans 8. You start going to Bible college and start, people start pulling out like Haggai 3, 4. You're like, what? Nobody even knows what that is, right? Anyway, books of the Bible, it's fun. I do like Colossians. My favorite's Ephesians, but uh, Colossians is going to be good. Uh, and we're going we're gonna to spend the whole series in the NIV translation, all right? It's, um, it's just a bit of a different translation. My personal favorite is the, the New Living Translation, but the NIV is good for teaching, okay? And this series is going to be a little bit of teaching, okay? Uh, we love preaching into cultural things. We love preaching the themes that we find in Scripture, but sometimes it is great to teach through a book of the Bible. Uh, and part of that, part of teaching the Word of God, right, is, is to teach our community how to read the Word of God. And so you're going to get every week uh, just little, little kind of tidbits, little examples, little bits of wisdom on how do we make sure we're actually reading this effectively, okay? How do we make sure we're not just cherry picking a little verse that we like and applying it to our life when that's actually not uh, the correct context that that verse was even written in or written to? Uh, because we don't want to build a foundation of our faith off of something that is actually not the rock, Okay, we want to make sure that we're building on the rock, that we're building on a firm foundation. And to do that, uh, we need to learn how to read our word well. Uh, so we're going to do that. All right. So Colossians chapter 1, and uh, I'm going to do my best to get through 15 verses this morning. All right. I'm going to do that as quickly as possible, uh, whilst not kind of just going over the surface. So here we go. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. To God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all of God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. 
For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it is uh, so relevant, God, right now in our world, Father. Lord, I thank you that it never grows old. It never becomes something that doesn't speak to us. God, and I pray this morning that as we unpack it to the best of our ability, Father, that your Holy Spirit, the spirit of revelation, uh, would, would come and speak into people's hearts and minds, bringing with it the revelation of your word that brings life Uh, and liberty in their lives, Father. So this morning we are praying for life, for freedom, uh, and Lord, we are praying that we would be transformed to be more like Jesus. Uh, And everybody said, amen, amen. Amen. All right, so the first thing that we want to do when we come to a book of the Bible is make sure we understand its context. Okay, every book that we find in Scripture was written by someone to somebody or, or, or a, a group of people for, the, for, for a reason. Okay, and, and we should not just assume that we can understand what is written without knowing first why it was written and to whom it was written and by whom it was written. Okay, it's some of the basics of unpacking Scripture. And so we're going to spend a little bit of time unpacking the context of Colossians. Okay, context is king. If you take anything out of this morning in regard to reading your Bible, it is that context is king. That's what you'll get from me. All right. We want to avoid scripture out of context and we want to learn things like who was the author, why was it written, where from, what was it addressing, uh, because these things will form correct context uh, for our interpretation of what God is therefore then saying to us in our lives, right? So number one, author. Okay, you should not be surprised, it's not mind-blowing, the author was Paul, okay? Uh, Paul the Apostle, Paul who was formerly known as Saul, had a radical encounter uh, with Jesus, okay? Um, That's very important actually behind why he can call himself an apostle, okay? There was some criteria that the early church forefathers placed around who could and who couldn't call themselves an apostle. And one of them, one of the criteria was that you had actually uh, encountered the living Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, right? And that's why it was very simple for the first sort of the disciples to be called apostles because Scripture tells us that, that the risen Jesus met with them. Uh, you know, he had breakfast on the beach, which I think is awesome. Um, but Paul had an equal real encounter with the living resurrected Jesus on the road to Damascus. And so in that, we find the criteria for Paul to call himself an apostle. Okay, it doesn't come just because he decided that was a nice title. No, it comes because actually he had um, a moment where he walked, talked, um, encountered and spoke with the resurrected Jesus. So our author is Paul. Okay, the date, when was Colossians written? Great question. Glad you asked. Uh, It was written sometime in 50 AD. So it gives you a bit of an understanding of of the time period after uh, Jesus actually walked on the earth. Okay, there's a a little bit of time passed. Okay, and we get Paul sits down and uh, and he's writing to this church in, in Colossae. Now, it's a church that Paul didn't actually plant. Okay, he didn't start the church in Colossae. In fact, reading through that, we get the understanding that it was Epaphras who started the church in Colossae. Uh, but Paul is writing to them to address some of the, the heretical teaching, so some teaching that was not right, that was starting to infiltrate into that church. It's not a common, sorry, it's not an uncommon theme that we find in this sort of time period after Jesus walked earth. So, 
We know it was about 50 AD because there was a massive earthquake that decimated Colossae in 60 AD. Um, and obviously, Paul isn't writing to a non-existent functioning church. Okay, So it had to be before 60 AD, uh, and so it's dated around 50, in the 50s. All right. When we, when we open up the book of Colossians, we, we recognize that there's two clear kind of halves to Colossians, okay? It's, it's structure, if you will, two halves. First half, chapter 1 and 2. Second half, chapter 3 and 4. That really satisfies my love of OCDs and order and you know, all that. If it fits nicely, right? It would have really messed with me if it had been 3 and 1, but it's, it's 2 and 2. It's great. The first two chapters, we have to understand that what Paul is doing is he is unpacking theoretical concept, right? He is trying to bring theological concepts. He's trying to talk in um, conceptual terms around things to do with Jesus. He is trying to explain some of these high, lofty, important, conceptual things about who Jesus was. Then Paul shifts gears, right? Like a really good message. He brings the concept and then he lands the plane with, right, now that you understand the concept, this is what it looks like to apply it in life. Right, and, and, and it's important that we understand that progression because if we don't, we will go and cherry pick the, the, the application before we understand the concept that it's written out of. And we'll go and get a verse out of Colossians 4 and we'll just try to apply Colossians 4 in our lives without first coming into contact with the person that is spoken about in the concepts of Colossians 1 and 2. I'll take a breath. I'm trying to get, I'm trying to get into it. Here we go. Okay, so, so this is why understanding these little things about the books of the Bible that we read are really important. Because, because we, the, the truth is that we can't live, right? We can't live the application of Scripture without first encountering the person of Scripture. Okay, you, you can't love unconditionally and endlessly without first encountering the Holy Spirit. I love Pastor Phil uh, Pringle, the, the, the head of our movement. He says that there's a reason we must go through Acts, okay, before we get to the New Testament. Right? We've we got to pass from the cross through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit before we hit the letters of Paul where he starts to unpack how we now live as Christians. Right? Because if we don't go through Acts, we miss the Holy Spirit, the very thing that empowers and enables us to live the things that Paul un, uh, uh, begins to unpack to the different churches. So don't cherry pick practical application without understanding and encountering the person of Jesus. And the fourth thing to know about the context of this is a little bit about Colossae, okay? A little bit about the church, what was happening at the time, which, which gave reason for Paul to actually write this letter, okay? He didn't just write it on a whim, okay? There was a reason that he sat down and wrote it. Now, first of all, uh, just for some common knowledge, Colossae was situated in apparently a really beautiful valley, Right, I don't know any other town that is situated in a beautiful valley, um, but it was it was it was situated in this beautiful valley, and it was known for incredible garments. I like Colossians already, right? Like it's just known for its clothing and being in a valley. I think it's very much like Newcastle, right? We live in a beautiful valley, known for our our, our fashionable dress. I could be stretching a longbow there, but that's all right. <laughs> All right, it is a predominantly a Greek population. That's really important. Okay, we've got to understand that it's Greek. Why? Because Greek comes with a particular culture. Okay, if we don't understand that we're Australian and what that means culturally, okay, one of the things it means is that we actually have a very strong influence of multiculture within our cultural context. And so we have to understand how to apply the, the, the truth of Scripture into the cultural context that we exist in. It's one of the many reasons why it was Paul that wrote to the Greek-speaking nations and, and went and, and travelled and missionary worked to the Greek-speaking, and Peter didn't. It's because Paul spoke Greek. Right? Like, let's, let's not think that, 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 that somehow the places and the positions that we're called to don't line up with the giftings and the skills that we have. Right? Like, like I get Australian culture. That's probably why I'm called to bring the gospel to Australia. Same with you. Okay? We understand our culture, and so we understand how we can bring 
grace and truth in love into a setting in a way that it is going to be received, okay? Remember, that's, that's actually, we want to cast seed in a way that is going to land in fertile soil. Don't go casting seed in such a way that it's immediately going to be rejected because you haven't thought about how you're going to deliver it so it can be received, okay? It can't be received on social media, okay? Don't go trying to cast seed, your opinion, across Twitter and Facebook, Okay, that is not fertile soil of the soul. Okay, if you want seed to land, go and take someone to coffee, find out about their life, and bring love and truth into that space once, you give, once you've been given permission out of relationship. All right, come on. The occasion, why, why, why the writing? Okay, I mentioned it earlier. Paul wrote because he needed to address some heretical teaching. There were some people in the church in Colossians that were starting to say things about Jesus, say things about the gospel that weren't true. And this is really critical because you've got to understand, we're now, we're now about you know, the timeline, right? So we're, we're about 20 years after uh, Jesus rose from the dead, left the earth, right? We're just far enough down the track, okay, that the core teachings of this new expression of, of relationship with Jesus was being cemented. Okay, and, and so what we see often in Scripture is that the, the apostles that wrote uh, the books of the Bible are, are really firmly addressing some of these key things because they're like, we know this is going to grow beyond our lives. This, is, this thing called the church is going to extend out into the whole earth beyond our life, and we need to make sure that right from the start we do not allow there to be like a one-degree shift on what the gospel really is and who Jesus really is, right? Sometimes I think the church, we would benefit from recognizing that back in the day, they concentrated on, on, on very few things, major, majored on a few things, rather than the, 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 the ones that caused a whole lot of discrepancy across the world. Let's major on what the gospel is and who Jesus was. Right, like let's let's all agree that Jesus is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the Son of God, and let's agree that the gospel is the good news that He came to earth, died for us, now we have forgiveness and an opportunity for a relationship with God. Can we just like let's agree on that? And so we, we, we find actually in a lot of the books of the Bible, even the Gospel of John, he is addressing this same heretical teaching. And that is, that is the fact that, that, that naturally, and you've got to understand, this is what we do too, okay? This isn't like, oh, this was just back then. No, this is what we do. The Greek culture that was, that was thriving in Colossae brought with it particular worldview and mindset, right? We have got to understand that we operate in this life with a culturally influenced worldview and mindset, Okay, we can't do anything about it. We're born with it. Uh, we live. It, it is created. But we have to be aware that we have it and it is not necessarily kingdom. Okay, we will have some worldviews, ways that we view the world, perceptions on life. Okay, we will have some that are simply culturally embedded in us and do not align actually with what the Word of God says. That's no different to the Greek culture. Okay, simply being Greek meant you had some worldviews, you had some mindsets, you just grew up, they, they just, they would, they just get, were formed as you grew, learned, lived. Okay, the problem is some of those, some of the philosophical perceptions on life that Greek culture brought with it were incompatible with the gospel. Okay, they were, they were out of alignment with what the gospel said about life, okay? For instance, these are the two main ones that were happening in, in Colossae, okay? Number one is something called Gnosticism, okay? And you actually, if you do any sort of research around even the Gospel of John, he is writing to address that same philosophical mindset that, that people in the church that John's writing to were preaching out of. So they were preaching out of a philosophical mindset not scripture. I mean, they didn't really have it, so we can't blame them that much. We do. We should be more careful. Okay? We shouldn't preach philosophy. We shouldn't preach culture. We should preach the Word of God. All right? 
Gnosticism. A couple of little things. Gnosticism says, says that, that the spirit, anything spirit, is awesome. Okay? But anything material, anything materialistic, anything matter, right, is bad. Now, on the surface, we think, well, actually, that's pretty, that's kind of in alignment, isn't it? Like, we think the spirit's good, and, you know, we're all about not being selfish, and, well, we shouldn't be materialistic. And if we're not careful, this is what happens. If we're not careful, we think something about culture that sounds sort of right must be right. Problem is, if you take the very essence of, 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 of the incarnated Jesus, where God came to earth and put flesh on, if, if you believe that to be true, you can't be Gnostic. Because why would the spirit which is good come down and put on something that's material? That goes completely against Gnosticism, right? And so that's, that's why we see in John, he doesn't start with the birth story, he starts with the incarnation. Because John's addressing Gnosticism. He's like, you guys have got it wrong. You can't think like that and believe in the gospel because the gospel says actually spirit came down, put flesh on because God cares about those of us that have flesh. God cares about people. God cares about humanity. In fact, the whole reason Jesus came, died and and rose again was so that us in bodily form still could know him. That we could have relationship with him while we were still living, breathing, walking with matter, not just, oh, we're trying to get our spirit to elevate to the upper echelons of goodness. Okay, right. So, so the incarnation becomes a big issue. Who Jesus really was, God on earth as man, that is a key issue that we see Paul start to address in Colossians. Second one is one called syncretism, right? Syncretism, and, 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 and again, here we go. This is where the Bible is still so valid, right? Syncretism says that everybody is right and no one is wrong. <laughs> I'll tell you, we, we do not live in a more relevant time for the Word of God, where, where, well, everyone's allowed their own opinion. Well, you've got your truth and I've got my truth. and Actually, that means that there's no truth, um, right? But, but syncretism is this idea that you just kind of pluck a little bit of what you like from, oh, I like that bit of your belief system and I like that bit of your belief system and I'm just going to make my own cake of belief system and that's my cake and I'm going to eat my cake. You can bake your cake with that little bit of that over there and that little bit of that over there. And, and, and Paul's saying, no, sorry, there is something that is truth. There is something that is the absolute truth, and that is that Jesus was God, came to earth, became man, died on a cross. That is truth, and as Christians, we believe it. We believe that that is the truth. And unfortunately, as offensive as it may be, that does mean that there's certain things we don't believe are true. And and just like in Paul's day, when he is writing to address that, that can put people offside, but that doesn't mean that we give up on standing on the Word of God as truth. Okay, so Paul writes to address actually that no, 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 it's not just this and this and this, it's, it's all Jesus. And so what we find is that Paul's central, kind of the, the, the climactic verse of Paul's unpacking in Colossians is in Colossians 2, verse 6 and 7, and we will get to that in about three weeks, but basically to summarize that scripture, it says, you are in Jesus, now go and be Jesus, Okay. If you wanted to package the whole of Colossians and summarize what Paul is talking about, it's this. Christ in all, through all, above all. Jesus is the focus. He's the fullness of the Godhead in bodily form and in the church is complete and completed in him. That's it. Jesus. You can summarize Colossians in one word. Jesus. Paul's preaching Jesus. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the way. It's all about Jesus. Let's not miss it. Let's not get distracted. Let's realize this whole thing, it's about Jesus. Funnily enough, I really like, we have just launched the fact that our reason is Jesus. I'm just going to throw that in there, right? We're a church that believes our whole reason is about Jesus. So, main themes in chapter 1. And I will get into the scripture very shortly. Main themes in chapter 1 is that Jesus is preeminent. He's incarnate. He's the creator. He's the Lord of the church. And he's the reconciler. Right? Like Paul is just rattling off these things to address the heretical teaching that is in the church. And it's so important to know the big picture, right, so that we don't misinterpret the little details that Paul writes about, right? So now we understand that anything Paul says is in the context of him saying, hang on, guys, it's all about Jesus. Okay, so if you pull something out of Colossians, 
that, that now is not in the context of it being all about Jesus, you know, oh, maybe, maybe I'm reading that wrong. Maybe I'm applying that wrong, okay? If it's not all about Jesus, when you apply a scripture out of Colossians, okay, maybe go back and read the context and think about, hang on, what's Paul saying? Because I know he's saying this is all about Jesus. It's all about how you are now in Jesus and can go and be Jesus. And so if your application of the word of God doesn't lead you in that direction, go, go back, go back and reread something. So let's get into it. One, one, Paul's position. I am an apostle, um, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. It's important to understand that Paul does not blow his own trumpet. Okay, Paul is not saying, I've decided I'm an apostle. Paul's saying, actually, you know what? Uh, in, other, in other letters, he talks about like I'm a servant. In this letter, he's coming with the authority that he has because he is allowed to call himself an apostle because of the interaction he's had with Jesus. Okay, and so he's like, listen, I'm, I'm, the sent, I'm, I'm a sent one. Apostle means sent one. And so Paul's addressing the church in Colossians and he's, and he's saying, listen, I am sent by Jesus to make sure that, that, that you are in right alignment with your thinking and your learning about this good news, about this new way to relate to God that, um, that, that, that Jesus has established. And actually, we can, we can read in Acts 13 too what it means to be an apostle. Okay, There's some explanation. Uh, if you want to do some back reading, you can, you can go for it. Um, but basically, Paul is outlining why he has the authority to bring this correction. Okay, uh, And then moving on. Okay, uh, well, I guess we already see in that first verse, apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. That I'm sent by Jesus, my purpose comes from Jesus, because actually it's, it's all about Jesus. Paul is already kind of pinning his flag to the mast of what he's, he's writing about in this book. And I'm, I, I, I'm, I'll be honest, I'm challenged sometimes when I read things like that and I ask myself, so Am I as convinced of what God has purposed in my life for Jesus? Am I convinced that what I'm doing and what I'm pursuing, could I stand and say, maybe not an apostle, right? But at least, at least the way Paul addresses himself in other letters, Nate, a servant of Christ Jesus. Am I aligned? Am I, am I surrendered in such a way that God is directing the purpose of my life for his purpose? And for his glory. Or am I pursuing my own purpose and my own desires? And, and well, like I, 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 I love God, but am I actually allowing him to really direct my life? It's a good question to ask ourselves out of, out of scripture. Moving on to verse three and four, right? He goes on and to talk about, we always thank God the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, right? I love this because Paul thanks them for their faith. Okay, it's so one of the first things he does is, I mean, it's natural in a letter back in those days, you would do a little thanks kind of thing at the start, gratitude. But Paul's like, listen, there's something I want to thank you about, and I want to thank you that you have faith. And I, I think we should be more encouraging of each other, okay, for, for those of us that stand, not, not, I'm not talking about me, I'm talking about the, the person in our congregation that encourages you. Week in and week out. Maybe it's not the same person every day, but when was the last time you said, hey, I want to thank you for your faith because when mine was low, you encouraged me. You, you, you still had it. You were, you were like, God's got this. You know, like we should be that for other people and when someone is that for us, we should be like, you know what? Thank you for your faith. Thank you that you haven't given up. You haven't got discouraged. It's been a tough 18 months, but you know what? Thank you for speaking into my life and encouragement. Thank you for still having faith. Okay? And these guys have it. And Paul's like, yes, yes, this is actually what it's all about. Faith in Jesus. And you guys have got it. And I want to thank you for that. I want to celebrate that. And actually, when I pray for you, I, I, I thank you for, I thank God that you have this faith, that you've got it. And then equally, he says, you know what else? You know what else I'm really stoked about? I've heard that you have this faith in Christ Jesus. And the other thing that Paul has heard about, right? Remember, and he hasn't been there. He didn't plant this church. So he's heard, he's heard of their faith and he's heard of their love for each other. If those two things don't challenge us, 
to ask the question, what does the world hear about us? Is it our faith, the way in which we live with expectation and, and confidence in who we say we believe in? And, and is it, do they hear of our love for each other? Like I know scripture, I know we're called to love our neighbor, I know that, but let's, can we just right now, like Paul's talking about the love he's heard and that it's for the brothers? That should challenge us. That should challenge us. Is the world hearing about the way we love each other? And it's interesting, right? Like as he goes on, he says, the faith and the love that springs up from the hope. We arrive uh, in, what is that? That's like verse, verse five, faith, hope, and love. Faith, hope, and love. You know, it's like Paul's expression of the pillars of this Christian relationship, this Christian life is faith, hope, and love. And I love the way Paul talks about them, that both faith and love spring up from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven, right? And he talks about this idea that, well, having faith in Christ, like once we've got that, that's the start, faith in Christ is our salvation, faith in Christ, what does it lead to? Well, it leads to a whole gamut of hope that we have in heaven. It should lead, that faith in Christ suddenly releases over our lives all of these promises, all of these things that are stored in heaven. And so we live with a hope of those because our faith is in Christ. And do you know what those two things produce? When, we, when, our, when our salvation is a certainty and the promises of heaven we're continually hoping for, they produce a capacity to not be selfish. They produce a capacity to love. And so faith, hope, and love have this cyclic feeding into one another within us. And, and, and when we're down on hope, let's go back to reminding ourselves of the faith that we have in Christ because that suddenly produces a hope for the things that are stored in heaven. And when we have hope, we're free to love because we're not grasping for other things to fulfill the hopelessness that we find in our lives. And ultimately, you know what? That, that leads Paul to talk about that these things came from the gospel, the good news, right? Like faith, the beginning of our journey of faith is acceptance of the gospel, the good news that God lives, that he loves you, that he sent his son Jesus to die for you so you can have relationship with God, so you can put your faith in Christ. And Paul's very clear, like this, this isn't just a fantasy, okay? This isn't just like a good idea. This is the truth. The gospel is what we, we, we put base our entire life on. It's what we live from. It's the thing that gives us the capacity to hope and to love. It's the gospel. And then Paul goes on to say, listen, you know, the gospel what the gospel does that came to you, verse 6, in the same way the gospel is bearing fruit and growing. Do you know what the fruit of the gospel is? The fruit of the gospel is changed lives. The fruit of the gospel is changed lives. Lives that had no hope that now have hope. Lives that, that once were directed by selfishness and, and, and self-gain uh, are now directed by selflessness and a desire of love for others. Lives that, 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 that were marked by a lack of self-control and a lack of, of kindness and gentleness suddenly become marked by self-control and wisdom and kindness and love for others. It's changed lives. It's the fruit of the gospel. Fruit is produced. Not just, okay, so let me clarify here. The fruit, bearing fruit by, the, the, the gospel is bearing fruit by changing lives. So the gospel comes in, it changes our lives. The fruit of that is then what a changed life is able to do and, and bring in the lives of others. Okay, so, so we hear the gospel, it changes us, and then that change enables us to live different. It enables us to love others. It enables us to, to be uh, generous and selfless in a way that we simply couldn't before, or, or even though we strived sometimes to be, we lacked the source of that in our lives. And so and so Paul's like, listen, this gospel is going out everywhere. Be encouraged. You are not isolated. This is going out everywhere. It's changing lives. And when it changes lives, it's bearing fruit. There's love going out all over the place. And I don't know about you, but, but sometimes I, I, I have moments in my life where I feel really fruitless. 
I don't know if you, if you, can, if you, if you have those moments, but I'm like, I wonder what fruit should I be looking for in life? Because just like, just like culture was, was preeminent and, 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 and ever-present in their mindset and their worldview, we've got to understand that we carry with us the same worldview influenced and, and, and propagated with, with our cultural context. And our cultural context says the fruit of life looks like success. Right? And if we're not careful, we bring these, these ideas around things like success, like, like the fruit of life should be that we're getting, we're getting more, bigger, better, faster, stronger. Right? And so our, our marker or, or, of, of fruit is that we lean into comparison. Well, if I'm better than that person or if I've, or if I've got more than that person, and, and we start to measure fruit with the cultural perme- permeation rather than the kingdom expression of fruit, which is actually selflessness and love. And love doesn't want to be better than anyone. Love isn't trying to get more than anyone. Love is different. Moving on, down through these verses, we get to verse 7, where he talks about Epaphras, plan of the church. Bit of background if you want it. Scholars believe Epaphras actually sat under Paul's teaching in Ephesus, got saved, and, and then went from there and planted the church in, in Colossae. So Epaphras is, is, is really influenced by Paul uh, and then went out and evangelized into Colossae, started this church, and then Paul comes in and he's like, Look, doing great, but let's adjust A, B, and C. There we go. And so then what we see is that in the same way that Paul describes himself, he describes Epaphras, right? Paul describes himself as, as a servant of Christ Jesus, particularly in other letters that he writes. And, and it says here, you learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant. See, this idea of being a servant is not just for the people that we potentially put on, on like the pedestal or people that stand up on the platform or actually no 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 servanthood is is actually the position we place all of ourselves in to Christ Jesus. We all step into that place where we define ourselves as well actually now I'm, I'm a servant of Christ. I'm a servant of, I'm not after my own gain anymore. I'm not after pursuing the things that I want in my life anymore. I, I, I'm about being a servant of Christ. I've given up the pursuit of the things the world says I should pursue. I've laid down my life. I've, I, I've been crucified with Christ and now I live with Christ. But I live as a servant for His purpose and for His glory and for His kingdom. And we've got to remind ourselves, hey, that, that's, actually that's our role now is to be a servant to Christ Jesus. And Paul commends Epaphras. He's a fellow servant who's faithful, minister of Christ. And we see that theme coming through again and again. Listen, this is all about Jesus. This is all about, and this is before we get to what most people think is like the preeminent section of Colossians, right? Where Paul unpacks in this beautiful poetic language the the true, uh, incredible nature of Jesus, right? Before we even get to that, Paul's very clear. This is about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Once you've accepted Him as your Lord and Saviour, your whole life is now about Jesus. It's about His purpose. It's about surrendering to Him. It's being a servant to Him. It's not about suddenly getting all that you want. It's not about the, the path to the good life, right, which we, we, we bring our cultural perception to and we make it look like this and, and we put it up as a picture on our wall like that and, and well, now Jesus is going to help me get that. No, it's not like that. And that's not to say we don't get blessed and we don't receive incredible things as Christians, but first and foremost, our life is now about Him. Our life is about Jesus. And Paul kind of lands, it's kind of the climax now, verses 9 and 11 of this opening kind of introduction for Paul, because he goes on and he says, For this reason, right, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with, fill you with, fill you with. Why? Why is, why is this key to Paul? 
Because Paul knows that without what he's about to say, we are completely incapable of living the life that he is unpacking. He is talking about this life that is fully and completely surrendered to Jesus. And yet we, we in, in our unsaved humanity that we wrestle the shadow of after the cross, he knows that without what he's about to talk about, we just can't do it. As much as we would like to, we just fall short. And so Paul's like, I pray for you all the time for this. Why? Because what he's about to say is the enabler. Okay, it, it, it's, the, it's the special source, if you will, to the Christian life, right? It's, it's what actually enables us to live as, as, as servants of Jesus. He prays that we would be filled with three things, right? The, filled with knowledge of God's will. Who knows it's hard to, to be a servant when you don't know what the master wants you to do, right? To be filled with knowledge of God's will, to be filled with wisdom. Why wisdom? Because wisdom is the application of knowledge. There's no good just to know. Wisdom is about knowing how that then looks in life. Okay, so it's like a broad, broad example would be, okay, well, we know that God's will is for us to love. What does love look like? That's wisdom. Wisdom is knowing how to apply love in that setting because it's going to look different to that setting. That's why we can't cherry pick application and go, well, I need to, I need to do that there because that's what, that's what it's said to do. But, well, that's, that situation's different. No, don't, you don't apply application. You get the knowledge of God's will and then you have wisdom in how it looks in certain situations. And so we now know that God wants us to love. The wisdom is what does love look like there? And what does love look like there? It's going to look different and it's going to sound different and it's going to look one way in one setting and one relationship and it's going to look different in that conversation versus that conversation. Sometimes it looks like not saying anything on Facebook and Twitter. Sometimes to love is just to go, you know what, I'm I'm not going to antagonise. I'm not going to fuel that. It's about insight, understanding of God's will and the why of its application, right? Which we know that, that really what we're talking about there is revelation. It's about having a revelation, both of His will, the knowledge part, and then the application, the wisdom. That comes from a revelation. And we know the revelation comes from where? It comes from the Holy Spirit. He is the spirit of revelation. Don't kid yourself to think that you suddenly just on your own account know what God's will is for your life. No, it comes from walking with the one who reveals, the Holy Spirit. He unpacks that in verse 9 and then in verse 10 it says, you know, when when you do that, you see when you do that, it leads to fruit. It leads to fruit. We don't aim for fruit. We aim for to walk with the Holy Spirit. We aim to get the knowledge and the wisdom and the understanding, knowing that if we do that and we outwork that, fruit is the byproduct. Fruit is the byproduct. And we pursue practices and places and people and approaches with God, knowing that the result will be fruit. Because we don't make coming to church the fruit Okay, we build coming into the community of God as a part of, of, of something that is valuable to our life because this is all about Jesus and our life is all about Jesus. And when we do that, it's amazing fruit starts taking place in our life. But if we try to pursue it, we start striving to do what we think we should, we put ourselves out of alignment with simply pursuing Jesus. And the second thing that Paul prays is that they would be filled with power. They'd be filled with knowledge, wisdom, through revelation, Holy Spirit, and second is power. Why? Because power is needed for what does Paul talk about? Paul says, listen, you need power. Why? For endurance. You need a, You can't make this long term without the power of the Holy Spirit. You can't walk through the valleys. You can't walk through even the season we find ourselves in in life. You can't make it through that still loving people without the power of the Holy Spirit. You can't do it on your own. I can't do it on my own. You might be different. It says you need power for endurance and you need power for patience. 
truth is that we run out of those on our own, right? Like we run out of our emotional capacity, we run out of our physical strength, we run out of our mental well-being when we're bombarded with, with hopelessness and discouragement and difficulty and, and all kinds of things from everywhere in the, in the world that we live in. It's not as if we, we're getting less bombarded with difficulty and, and pain and it's all around us and some of us are experiencing it in our lives right now and the truth is that without the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we do not have the capacity to endure and remain patient over extended periods of time and we need the power and then third the third thing Paul lands this plane on and he said he says listen for your knowledge wisdom and power you'll have joy you can have joy you can have joy why I love this Paul finishes this whole opening by giving them the reason why they can have joy He reminds them of this. He says, The Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of His holy people in the kingdom of light. For He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sin. That is why we can have joy. That is why no matter what we walk through in life, we can still have joy because at the end of the day, we're saved. At the end of the day, we're forgiven. At the end of the day, we are being, we are redeemed and we are being redeemed. At the end of the day, we have a hope for what is in heaven because we have a faith that positions us in Christ because we have been taken out of the kingdom of darkness and been positioned in the kingdom of light. Therefore, irrespective of the very painful, real, difficult situations we walk through, irrespective of that, there is still something in our core that produces within us a joy because one day, we know we will stand before God and He will say, well done, good and faithful servant. He will welcome us because we have walked with His Son. There is a joy within us for the hope that we have of the things that are in heaven. And at times we simply need to stand on the simplest elements of our relationship with Jesus. And that is, you know what, God, this, all of this in my life, it sucks and it's painful and it's difficult. But I know you love me. And I know you've saved me. And I know one day, forever, I will walk with you. And sometimes that is where we have to go. Because that is where the joy is. And I I feel very strongly this morning, just to pray for some people. Firstly, who feel like they need a recalibration. Right, you just recognize over the past little while you've 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 just started living in a way that that is really just it's not just it's just not calibrated to the whole. It's all about Jesus. <laughs> it's like it's become all about you for a little while. And uh, truth be told, we all have those seasons quite often. Okay, that's why we gather as a, a community of believers that remind each other, hey, don't forget, it's all about Jesus. And you're like, oh, that's right, God, just can you just realign, just help me to think the way that you want me to think again, right? And we just need a recalibration. We need a realignment. You might be at home right now. And you're like, oh yeah, that, that's me. I just, I need that. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray that the Holy Spirit that brings the knowledge of the will of God and the wisdom in how to apply that would come and would fill your heart and your mind and bring that, that realignment back to Jesus. So if that's you this morning and you're here and you're like, you know what? I just, I feel like I need a recalibration. I'm just going to ask that everyone bows their heads. At home, why don't you bow your head? And if that's you, just, just put your hand out like you're going to receive something this morning. I'm just going to pray that you would receive the spirit of revelation afresh to know His will and to have the wisdom to outwork it. So Father, right now, Holy Spirit, move, reveal, and recalibrate our lives back to Jesus. That we would ask the right questions. That we would would lay down things that we need to lay down to enable us to 
step back into alignment with your will and your purpose for our lives. Holy Spirit, I know right now you're moving and you're speaking to people. I pray, Father, that you would empower them with the, with the, with the power to change right now in the name of Jesus. And following on from that, I want to pray for people that feel like they need to be filled with that sense of power and joy. You need, you, you're in a season right now, you need endurance, you need patience. I know that can seem like, well, we could just be talking about right now. Right now affects some of us more than it affects others. Uh, and that's okay. But right now you're like, I'm walking through something. I need endurance. I need patience. I need the power that enables me to endure. Uh, again, I, let's just bow our heads. I'm going to pray for you. If you just put your hand out, if you're at home and watching and you need the power to endure something, you're going through something, uh, I want to pray for you. So Father, right now, for every person that is just saying to you right now, I need that power to endure. I need the power to have patience. People that have been believing for something and believing for something and not seeing it and not seeing it, I want to pray right now that you would have the power to be patient, to lean into Jesus, to make Jesus your pursuit, not that thing, to lean into Him. To, to I pray right now the Holy Spirit would come and empower you afresh in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. And lastly, for anyone who might be watching uh, or might even be here this morning and you've never had a relationship with Jesus. You've heard us talk a lot about Him this morning. It's, it's so simple. And I know that our pastors right now, they're online, they would love to pray with you, but I just I want to step you through how to go from where you are and step into a relationship with Jesus. It, it's, it's three things. It's real simple. I, I do like A, B, C. A is that you accept. You accept that you, who you are. The, the, the human and in your humanness you sin and that separates you from God. But you also accept who Jesus is, that He was God's Son and that He came to earth. And that when He came to earth, B is believe. You believe that He died on the cross and three days later He rose again. And, and that when He did that, the shedding of His blood was the forgiveness of your sin. And so although you accept that you have sinned, you now believe that you're forgiven. And three, three is commit. Three is to commit your life now to Him, to, to kind of surrender and let Him lead your life and have a relationship with Him. If you want to do that this morning, if you want to step into that relationship, I would encourage you if you're online, please click on the button. It's going to start a conversation with one of our pastors and they would love to pray with you as you accept, acknowledge, God, I've done stuff. And confess it before you. I accept that actually you forgive me because of Jesus. And, and I, I give you my life and I want you to come and, and lead my life, be the Lord and Saviour of my life right now in Jesus' name.